For anyone who might be visiting with us, first of all, welcome, or those who may have been absent for a while, welcome back. And just to catch you up, lately we have been doing a sermon series entitled, In Need of a Prophet, looking at this very difficult time under the reign of Ahab when God sent his messenger to call the people back to him despite the wickedness and the misdirection of their leaders. We found a significant transition point last week when we came upon the death of Ahab, but the story isn't over, and the question lingers, what happens next? Which is what we're going to start to find out this morning as we read the very end of 1 Kings 22 and the first chapter of 2 Kings can be found starting on page 360 or on the words on the screen behind me. Here are the word of the Lord, Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, began to reign over Israel in Samaria, Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. And he reigned two years over Israel. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father and in the way of his mother and in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. He served Baal and worshipped him and provoked the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger in every way that his father had done. After the death of Ahab, Moab rebelled against Israel. Now Ahaziah fell through the lattice in his upper chamber in Samaria and lay sick. So he sent messengers telling them, Go, inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this sickness. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and say to them, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going to inquire of Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron? Now therefore, thus says the Lord, You shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Elijah went. The messengers returned to the king, and he said to them, Why have you returned? And they said to him, There came a man to meet us, and he said to us, Go back to the king who sent you, and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. He said to them, What kind of man was he who came to meet you and told you these things? They answered him, He wore a garment of hair with a, a belt of leather about his waist. And Ahaziah said, It is Elijah the Tishbite. Then the king sent to him a captain of fifty men with his fifty. He went up to Elijah, who was sitting on the top of a hill, and said to him, O man of God, the king says, Come down. But Elijah answered the captain of fifty, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your fifty. Then fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. Again, the king sent to him another captain of fifty men with his fifty. And he answered and said to him, O man of God, this is the king's order. Come down quickly. But Elijah answered them, 
If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your fifty. Then the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. Again, the king sent the captain of a third fifty with his fifty. And the third captain of fifty went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and entreated him. O man of God, please let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. Behold, fire came down from heaven and consumed the two former captains of 50 men with their 50s. But now let my life be precious in your sight. Then the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. So Elijah rose and went down with him to the king and said to him, Thus says the Lord, because you have sent messengers to inquire of Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron, is it because there is no god in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you will, you shall surely die. So he died, according to the word of the Lord that Elijah had spoken. Jehoram became king in his place in the second year of Jehoram, a different king, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, because Ahaziah had no son. Now the rest of the acts of Ahaziah that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Where do you go when you come up against a need that you yourself cannot fix or fill? Because we are limited people, each one of us comes against things that we don't have the skills, the knowledges, or the practice to be able to handle on our own. And so we have to look beyond ourselves in order to fix things. So if this was a children's message, I'd look for answers. But just think of someone in your mind for a couple of scenarios I'll throw out there. Uh, Let's say that you had a complicated math problem that you couldn't quite get, whether from homework or something you were trying to pencil out at work, and it just, the numbers weren't working. So who would you ask for help? Think about your cell phones that many of you had. All of a sudden, it's not working right. It seems to be all glitchy and problematic, and you can't figure out how to fix it. Who are you going to ask? Think about the uh, uh, big business decisions that you may have laying before you or, or a parenting decision that, that's plaguing you. And you're not sure wisdom-wise which way to go or how to handle that. So who are you going to call on the phone? Example after example could be given, but let me just pick one to kind of draw out this illustration a little bit more. Let's imagine that you've got a problem with your vehicle. Happens all of the time. It's it's driving okay, but there's a new noise that's a little weird and and you're not sure what exactly it is. So, So what are you going to do with that? Well, obviously, all around the place, there are different shops that specialize in car repair. And and maybe you know one that you trust or have worked with before. And so you're going to go to them and ask them what's going on. Or I know there's a lot of people in our church that are mechanically minded or or gifted in taking care of vehicles. And so maybe you'd drive it over to them and say, what do you think is going on? Is there a fix to this that maybe you could handle it? Save me a little bit of effort or money. But now imagine this, 
that instead of going to either one of those, you come to me for help with your car. I promise you that would be a foolish decision to do. I can do a few things on cars. I've changed some tires. I've jumped cars. I've changed batteries. I can check the oil. But if you get anywhere beyond that, I am absolutely worthless. So coming to me would be the last thing that you would want to do. But imagine that you did. And then someone that, that does know about cars found out that you went to me first. They would almost be offended, and rightly so, why you looked past their expertise and skills and went to someone who had none of those. Now, so far, the illustrations and examples that I've been using are, are common everyday things that we come up against on a regular basis in our lives. But let me ask you a little bit harder, more deeper, and important questions. What about when life is difficult? Where do you turn? If you start to find yourself looking for purpose and meaning, going through the routines of life, but you're just stuck as the, what am I doing here and why am I existing? And it's getting to you, where do you look for help for that question? Or you've gone through a tragedy or something terrible has not worked out in your life. Your, your business is falling apart. You lost someone that you deeply love and you need hope. Where do you turn then? Those are the more important questions in life. And, and that is more what we are going to be exploring this evening and let me, I mean, this morning, and let me, ask, let me make it abundantly clear, in asking those questions, I'm not asking where should you go, but where do you most often go? Well, as I had said, uh, in we reading the end of 1 Kings and 2 Kings, we are at a period of, of transition, uh, a time of transition in the, the history of Israel. Ahab, that wicked king who had been leading the nation poorly and in the wrong direction, is now dead. His reign is finally over. And now this is an opportunity, an opportunity for change. Not just change in the person that's sitting on the throne, but a change potentially in the direction of Israel. Rather than wandering away from God and following after Ahab as he had led them astray, maybe with a new king, we have an opportunity to start going in a new direction. To repent of the sins of the past and turn past and to turn once again in true devotion and worship of God. And so when we see Ahab's death, there's a glimmer of hope that maybe something will now change. But of course, that glimmer is quickly extinguished when we get to the summary of the reign of Ahab's son Ahaziah in the end of 1 Kings 22. That tells us very straightforward and bluntly that Ahaziah, in the short two years that he reigned, accumulated and followed in all of the wickedness of the kings of the past. As children often do, he walked in the way of his father and in the way of his mother. And like his father and mother, he served and worshipped the veils and he provoked the Lord to anger. And then in the start of 2 Kings, if that description isn't enough, we get a glimpse of exactly what that looked like in Ahaziah's life and the one story that we are told 
of his reign. The story starts with Ahaziah, for whatever reason, being in a place where it's weak, and he falls through the latticed work of his upper chamber in his uh, palace in Samaria. He's injured, he's hurt, and it's not looking good. And so now we get to those questions that I was asking at the very beginning. Ahaziah, where are you going to go? What are you going to do? You can't heal yourself. Life looks tough and you want to know what's going on and what's going to happen. And so the question is, where, Ahaziah, are you going to turn? And especially in a situation like this, that question is critical because where he goes answers or usually reveals where he is putting his greatest hope and his greatest trust for the answer to those questions. And for Ahaziah... He goes where his father and his mother taught him to go. He goes to Baal-zebub. In response to this injury and its, and its following illness, he sends messengers to Ekron. That's a city about 40 miles southeast, uh, uh, sorry, southwest of where he was in Samaria. It's outside the land of Israel and in the nation of the Philistines. Now, a, a quick word about this strange-sounding god. Beelzebub, uh, literally translated, means Lord of the Flies. It's an odd designation for a, a god, and, and so many people suppose that the god's real name was Beelzebul, uh, which means the Lord exalted or the Lord most high, and that the Hebrew authors intentionally changed that one letter to make it bows above in order to kind of mock this false image. You're a god, well, you're the god of the flies. But furthermore, this is likely that same designation, just in a different language where that word Beelzebub comes from. Also, Lord of the flies, one of the names used to describe the devil in scriptures. Well, either way, this is where Ahaziah looks. And it's completely foolish to look there. To send people on a mission to a foreign land, and as we learned not all that long ago at Mount Carmel, to ask of a God that is completely worthless, completely incapable of doing anything and totally irrelevant. But that's, it actually treats God as though he's meaningless. As though he's not there, although God, the Lord, is completely incapable of answering Ahaziah's question. But that's what any and all idolatry does. It ignores the living God, assuming that he can't really help out with whatever need you have, and it looks past him to some other object, real or imagined, to ask that what to do what really only the true God would actually have the power to do. So while Ahaziah ignores God because of his faithfulness and his claim on the Israelites, God doesn't ignore Ahaziah. And at the same time that Ahaziah is sending his messengers out to go ask Beelzebub what's going to happen, God sent his messenger, his angel, to Elijah to intercept those messengers. Ahaziah 
uh, and, and to rebuke him for overlooking the Lord. And the initial interaction between Elijah and Isaiah's messenger is assumed. It's, it's not described in the, in the text. But in verse 5, when his messengers return, Ahaziah can tell immediately that they did not follow through on what he had sent them to do. There was no way they had time to go there, get the message, and come back. And this would have been infuriating for him. He was the king. They were his messengers. He sent them on a task. Who interrupted that task? Who had greater authority to interrupt the word and the assignment of the king so that they stopped what they were supposed to be doing and listened to them instead? And when asked this question, they delivered the message that they had received. They said they got a man who told them, is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. It's a message repeated three times in full in our text, highlighting the importance to the message overall in this section. But the question of the day, Hezekiah has been answered. What's going to happen? But it's not an answer from the place where he had been looking. And so in hearing that message, Ahaziah wants to know about this man that interrupted their assignment. He asks for a description, and when it is given, Ahaziah knows immediately who it is. But in getting that correct, something is revealed about Ahaziah. He knows who Elijah is. He's at least aware of the interactions that his father Ahab had with Elijah and the conflicts that involved in all of those circumstances. He may not act like it, but he at least knows and does know that there is a God who has a claim over the nation of Israel. Now that he knows where this unwelcome message came from, Ahaziah wants to go and get Elijah. And this is where our passage takes somewhat of a difficult turn. Because in his effort to get Elijah to come to him, Ahaziah ends up losing over 100 lives of his people. So first of all, I'm trying to figure out what's going on here. Let's ask the question, well, what did Ahaziah want? When he sends out these captives and these 50 men to go get Elijah, what did he want from him? Well, if we're extremely generous, maybe he was just trying to get Elijah to come and, and have a conversation with him to explain where this message came from and to hear him out and to give an audience to Elijah. But I think that's far too generous of an assumption to make about Ahaziah. Instead, it's much more likely that Ahaziah wants to see if this is negotiable. To get Elijah in his presence and to say, okay, well, what can we do to change what God had said? And very likely, the classic punishing the messenger for the message, he would try to change God's mind by harming, arresting, or killing Elijah because he didn't like what he had heard. And so when he sends out these troops... He's not trying to be kind to Elijah. He's going to get him, and he's going to harass him. And so what we have here is another power battle. Who really is in charge? 
Who is the one whose word will win out at the end of the day? Is it going to be Ahaziah, the king who sits on the throne in Israel? Or is it going to be the word of the Lord, the king who reigns over all the earth? And when the first two captains approach Elijah and demand that he come to the king, submitting to the king's orders, the men are met with death in the form of fire from heaven. God is still the God of Mount Carmel. The power and superior strength that he displayed in opposition to Baal back then is the same power displayed here, except this time it's not the altar that burns, but these soldiers of Ahaziah in swift judgment against him. The third captain learns his lesson. While not a true act of repentance, he is much humbler in his approach to Elijah. He recognized that his very life is in the hands of Elijah, and so he treads much more lightly, asking and submitting to Elijah, inviting him to come. And in response to this humble plea, after taking the lives of the other two sets of 50 men and their captain, Elijah spares these 50 men and their captain, and he does go to the presence of Ahaziah as directed by God's angel. But even after these delays, these tactics, when Elijah does get in the presence of Ahaziah, the message hasn't changed a bit. Thus says the Lord, because you have sent messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron, is it because there is no God in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. Again, in a difficult way, Ahaziah learns the same lesson that his father Ahab learned. God's word cannot be manipulated or altered in any way that we want, especially when we are living in unrepentant, sinful ways. And again, in a straightforward way, we are told that Ahaziah did indeed die according to the word of the Lord. He gets replaced by his brother, Jehoram, a guy with the same name as the king of Judah, maybe suggesting that both of these nations are, are starting to walk in the same path. And in the end, that's exactly what's at issue here. I'll admit that a lot of these stories that we read in this section, and we've got more to come, they're very difficult texts to look at and say, what is going on here? And not only do we ask, what is going on here? But we ask the bigger question, well, what does this have to do with us? So far removed from this circumstance. In the end, this is a story about a king who made a mistake and fell through his lattice and ended up dying. What in the world does that have to do with our lives thousands of years later? But as always, there is a lesson for us in Scripture. And, and first of all, let's recognize that in Scripture, it's not about Elijah, and this isn't about Ahaziah. This is about God. So what is revealed about God in this text? And to answer that question, I think we have to go back to where we were at the beginning of the service with the Ten Commandments. After reminding the Israelites of what God had done for them and setting them free from slavery in Egypt, God starts his commandments and he says to them first, you shall have no other gods before me. 
I am your God. I am the one who created you and who has saved you. Know me and look to me alone as your God. And then he follows that up by saying, similarly, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Our God said, don't look at anything else that I created to do what only I have the power to do because I want to walk with you. I want to be the one that, wa that knows you. I am jealous for a relationship with you. And when those commandments get disobeyed, the story of Ahaziah is exactly what happens. God alone is the one true God. God is jealous for our attention. And it provokes the Lord when we look to idols or images or false gods to do what only God can do for us. And when we turn to those idols, all we do is earn God's wrath and his judgment. It was clearly foolish for Ahaziah to turn to Beelzebub for direction and while ignoring God. But that's not just Ahaziah's problem. It was the problem of all of Israel in general. You see, these stories weren't written at the time that they took place, but they were written and they were preserved to remind people who had already lived through all of these events. Israelites who had seen how king after king at opportunity to repent and turn back to God never did it, but instead continued to look to idols and away from God and to not be the people that God had called them to be. And because of that, their nation had fallen apart. Their story as a nation was the same as Ahaziah. Instead of looking to God, they looked to idols and the result of doing that was just death and collapse. And that's why we get to this in need of a prophet. In a world of so many distractions and struggles and problems, the prophet calls the people back to say, look to God and to him alone. The call to Ahaziah when he took the throne was the same call to the rest of the nation and the same to us. Now is the time to turn to God who is right there wanting a relationship with you. He's the only God that exists. He's the God that has been forever faithful to his promises to his people. The God that did save his people. He saved them from slavery back in the Old Testament. And much more significantly, he is the God that sent his only son who was sacrificing himself on a cross so that he would bear the penalty of my sins and yours so that you would not have to bear those consequences. That God is always calling, look to me for your needs. Look to me for direction on how to live in your lives. Look to me for the hope of eternal life together. But far too often, like Ahaziah, that's not where we look. And that's not where we go. 
Instead, when life gets hard, we turn to other things to find our hope. In a world of insecurity and struggle, seeking that security and that that protection for ourselves, we look to, to political power. And we think if we just vote for the right people in the right party, things will get settled and then life will get better. Or we try to find security in our financial holdings. If we build up a big enough bank account, our lives can get comfortable and our children will be taken care of. In a life full of of stress and chaos and and constant labor and work and weeds that, that frustrate that work, when we just want peace and relaxation instead of resting in the presence of God, we try to dull our minds in chasing after alcohol and drunkenness or distractions of addictions that'll just soothe us. We try to find purpose and the building up of our kingdoms rather than God's. So first of all, this is a call to recognize God for who he is. To go nowhere else in order to find security, hope, comfort, and peace that only he can provide because all those other things as they have proven all over and over again from the time of Ahaziah are worthless and will only lead to death. Another thing that you can't help but notice in this text is a bit of a challenge for parents. As a congregation, I think we are so blessed to regularly go to that, this baptismal font and to rehearse over and over again the promises of God, of you, the church, and of parents made in this baptismal font. And fundamentally, the promise that each parent makes to their child when they bring them to this font is this, that they promise to instruct their children in the Christian to faith and to lead them by their example to be Christ's disciples. And every time I make a baptism call, we highlight those two things. What does it mean to instruct your child? And oftentimes that means teaching them how to pray, making sure they come to church, sending them to Christian schools so that they know the stories and they know who God is. But the more important part is that second commitment, to lead them by your example. And over and over again, we have that conversation that no matter what you try to teach your child, what they will really learn from is the example that you set. And so parents, this is a challenging reminder again. What do your your children not just hear from you, but see in you about where you go when life is hard? About where you turn in your frustrations when things don't go the way that you want to go? about where you are looking for your peace and security. Because as we see with Ahab to Ahaziah happens over and over again, our children follow in the ways that we set, not in our instruction, but more often in our example. And this is a challenging to reminder to parents, what is that example that I am setting? The example of true devotion to Christ in my life for my children. But in the end, it's not about what your parents did or how they taught you. It's about the fact that each one of us has a choice before us every single day. Where are you going to go 
when life is hard or difficult. You can look to the securities that this world promises. And you can try to find hope in idols, but what you will find over and over again is all of those idols are empty and they're only going to lead to death. And the call that we hear today and every day is this. Jesus saying, come to me. I'm the one who can give you hope. I am the one who can give you life. When you put your faith and your trust in me, you will be guided in this life and you will know the hope and the comfort of belonging to me and the security that no matter what happens in this world, that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor anything in this world will ever be able to separate me from my love for you. And so for all of you, that's the invitation this morning. Go to the Lord who wants a relationship with you. Cling to him and look to him as the God that he is and forsake all other worthless idols. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, in this broken and fallen world, we do look beyond ourselves for all kinds of needs, but unfortunately we confess that far too often instead of looking to you for what only you can provide, we look to idols. Awaken us, O oh Lord, to what those idols are in our hearts and in our lives. May we sacrifice them. And whether through learning in hard examples or whether through just confessing, bring us to a point of repentance where we see the emptiness of those idols and where we truly cling to you as the God that you are. And that's where we give you all of our gratitude. Thank you for being that God, that God of power and might, the God who wants a relationship with us, is jealous for our attention and our love, a God who did everything in order to reaffirm and reestablish a relationship with us. May that truth just fill us with the desire not only to worship you in these moments on Sundays, but throughout our lives in all that we do. May you receive all the glory and honor that is your due. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.